Our scripture reading for today is from uh, Psalm 92, which I'll be preaching upon. And a New Testament parallel passage from Philippians 4. Hear the word of God. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. With a ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But you are high forever. For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. And my eye has looked exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will be, shall be full of sap and very green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. And then from Philippians 4. Verses 1 through 14. And in these verses, Paul not only tells us not to be anxious, but he tells us uh, that he had learned contentment. I used to think that I was a pretty contented person, and then I, God let me see more of my own heart. But anyway... If you look at chapter 4, we'll start at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. 
I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now, the preaching of the word is going to come from Psalm 92. And I'm also going to make a number of references to Psalm 37 and 73. And I'll try, I didn't put all those the scripture verses in the outline, but I'll try to mention those verses when we go through the sermon. I don't want it to sound too much like a, an arithmetic lesson, but anyway, I'll try to give you those references since I failed to put them in the outline. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you would uh, teach us now your truth, that you would apply it to our uh, hearts and lives, and make it practical for us, not just something that we understand. I need your grace to preach faithfully, but I, together with everyone else, need to hear the preached word with ears and heart anointed by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us all to be very actively engaged in the hearing of your truth. And we pray for your blessing and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we've just had the event of Thanksgiving. And uh, it's one of my favorite holidays, uh, even though um, the pilgrims have come under a great deal of attack. Um, I like to um, read about the pilgrims and why they came and all that, and they tried some things, they did some things, and uh, sadly they were sinners like the rest of us. But anyway, there's a lot of uh, good there that I enjoy. So we've just passed upon that uh, event, and then we have soon to uh, we have soon upon us the coming of this year. Our family just came back from a week's vacation in Nags Head, and um, a few years ago, I decided that I would start teaching our family, and um, they have to sit through sessions. They had to sit through four this year. In one of those sessions, I asked some of the kids if they had any uh, things that they planned to do in the new year, any resolutions that they had. And, of course, I was asking the adults as well. And they said, some of them said that they did. And I said, well, don't wait for the new year. Start now. Start now thinking about how you're going to do that. If you start now, you got 13 months, okay? So uh, that gives you even more time to get those things accomplished. I said that to them because I was doing that myself. And... Um, I won't go into all the different things behind that. This section of the psalm, though, is like, like a section that does talk to us about life. When I was talking a while ago about this friend and her testimony about life and how it makes us reflect upon life, there are other psalms here. This psalm is telling us about giving thanks to God and about how God's going to eventually deal with with all of his and our enemies, and how he's going to bless us, and how we are to be a thankful people for all these things. But if you look at Psalm 90, 
You see, it's also about reflection upon life and asking for God's help. If you look at verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Or look at verse 15 through 17. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of our Lord, our God, be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. This prayer, verse 16 and 17, was a prayer that we had at the beginning of our marriage for the work that we would do in our lives over 50 years ago. And I know you all can't imagine Brenda and I being that old, but it's true. But anyway, this was our prayer for our lives and for our children and for all future generations. When you look over at number Psalm 91, you also have this thing about life and blessing. And this is a psalm to, to deal with fear. But in verse 16 it says, With a long life I will satisfy him, and let him behold my salvation. And this may be actual years, or it may be the blessing of the life, that it would be... Uh, the, the length of it would be measured in the blessing of it. Psalm 92 is a similar uh, psalm. It addresses and questions and concerns of God's people and the Lord's care of people and the world itself and how you and I are to, to respond. And so the first point of our sermon, uh, of the sermon, is this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord daily. The Lord gives gladness to His children and calls for singing. It is good to give thanks to the Lord daily. The Lord gives gladness to His children and calls for singing. So if you look at Psalm 92 at verse 2, you'll see that this was a daily thing of giving thanks to the Lord. To declare your loving kindness in the morning, okay, there's morning, and your faithfulness by night. So the psalmist presumes, we presume that the psalmist meant that every day it was appropriate to give thanks to the Lord. It was appropriate to begin every day. It was appropriate to end every day with thanksgiving. If you look at the title of the psalm, a song for the Sabbath day, it indicates that this is a song that might be sung each week, if it were, the people would be singing it. They would be reminded, if they did sing it each week, they would be reminding that they were to weekly give thanks to the Lord. And as they sang it and sang these words in verse 2, they would be reminded that it was good that they would daily give thanks to the Lord. The people would be occupied in thanksgiving, not only reminded them, but it also reminds us that the Lord's day is a day of thanksgiving. It's a day of praise. A lot of times our attitude about worship is we're going, what am I going to get out of it? Well, we do want everyone to get something out of it, but it's also a time, it's not a time about us, it's a time about God. And the more we get out of Him, the more we understand of Him, the more we concentrate on Him, the more praise and thanksgiving we give to Him, the more we exalt Him, the better we know Him, the more we get 
the best that we get from it. And so much of worship today, in many churches, the emphasis has changed. Instead of it being about God and about His truth, it has become about a plan for a happy life for everybody who's there. Is that wrong? No, but there are other things that are more important than whatever it is we have for our own particular agenda. But if the God wants His people to give thanks on the Sabbath, if the Sabbath is a picture of our rest in the Lord in heaven, we know that thanksgiving will be going on there and praise will be going on there. And it's even more the reason why giving thanks and praise should be going on in our life. That's a good question to ask yourself in your own private reading of the Word of God and praying. Am I giving thanks to God? Is my, is my, are my prayers just a, 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 a grocery list of what God needs to do for me? Or do my prayers include praise to Him? When you and I are driving down the road, when we're seeing a sunset, everybody sees that sunset. But just like you and I sang in the Trinity just a minute ago, you and I know the author of that sunset. You and I don't see the sunset as other people see the sunset. We see the sunset truly because we know the author of that sunset. We know the Creator. And it should issue forth in praise unto God when we see these things in His creation that declare His glory. Giving thanks. This is what we do as those who are His people. Here the psalmist represents it as expressing itself in song, in the singing of praise. In verse 1, it is good to sing praises to your name, O Most High. In verse 3, you have musical instruments that are mentioned. These are probably musical instruments with which the psalmist was familiar, which people used. It's not a command that we have to use these instruments But as people had musical instruments which accompanied them in song to the Lord, so God's people today likewise use the same. It's something that is to accompany. It's not supposed to be in some churches. The music has become an end in itself. The music is is something to accompany the people of God, whether it's the musical instruments or whether it's a choir or anything else. All that is to accompany God's covenant people and to... Give him praise, not to be centered upon them. The idea is that the Lord isn't getting some slight momentary recognition, but he is acknowledged, and very deliberately he is being praised. And the first verse says, it is good. It is good for us to do this. And it is good for us to do this because God is worthy, because it's the proper response that our hearts ought to have toward him the song we sing may be in what we actually call a song today or it may be in the form of a psalm and it might even be in the form of prayers but we are to be full of thanksgiving and praise to the lord this is what we owe him and this is what he welcomes and this is what he receives god is worthy of praise beyond anything that you and I can offer. You ever have that feeling? You ever have that feeling of where you want to give praise to God and you just wish you had words beyond the words that you know? Do you ever ever hear someone talk about something 
Boy, this meatloaf is wonderful. <laughs> and you think, wait, that word wonderful, maybe we ought to reserve that only for God, right? That, uh, that football play, that was awesome. That was, that was an awesome game. We almost like we need a different language because these words are so worn to everyday things. We know God, we owe God praise. He is worthy beyond all praise that we can offer. And this is our high privilege. We join in with the chorus of the angels in heaven. And when you praise God, when you praise Him in prayer, when you and I praise Him in song, when we praise Him alone and with His church and with our families, God receives that praise. He is pleased with it. And we sh that should make our hearts glad. There are reasons here given as to why we would praise Him. It has to do with who He is and what He does. His name in verse 1 Praises to your name. And name represents his person, his eternal perfections, his attributes, his holiness, his love, his truth, his mercy, his sovereignty. Verse 2 talks about giving him praise in the morning. Why? Well, because he protected me through the night. Giving him praise for, uh, at, uh, giving him praise for his faithfulness at night. Why? Well, because he kept me all day today, you see. You see, the, the psalmist here is covering the 24 hours. The Lord is praised morning and night because He has cared for us through that time. As for what you have done, and it parallels the works of your hands. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for the joy of the works of your hands. The psalmist recognizes that the Lord is actually governing all things. That's why we pray about particular things that we pray about. Because we believe this. He's not asleep at the wheel when we've had a bad day. When we read about all these, all this crime and when we read about all the injustice and, and all that stuff that we see in the news, when we read about this, it's almost like somebody thinks that God has taken a holiday, but He hasn't. He is governing. He is ruling. And we're going to see that in the latter part of this psalm. But he, he is not asleep at the wheel. He is one who is actively governing the, his creation. And you and I should remember this. We should remember this and give him praise. And we should remember this in all of our doing. All of our things that go on. You might have the question, well, what about bad days? What about thing, when things aren't going well? What about when relationships are broken? What about when we feel the shame of our sin? What about when we have anxiety about some problem that we're under right now? What about some future fear, something that I fear? What, how do I praise God in those times? How do I still give Him praise? I'm going to tell you the way to do it. You work harder at it. <laughs> you just have to work harder at it. I mean, life, life at times is not easy. And you and I are called to praise Him. And you go maybe to Romans 8, 28. You start quoting Scripture. You start thinking. You think about the past. That's what David does in the Psalms. 
On those days when he's having bad days, when his enemies hate his guts, when they're trying to kill him, when they're lying about him and all this other stuff, what does he do? He works harder to praise God. He starts thinking about how God has helped him in the past. He starts thinking about who God is. He starts thinking about God's sovereignty. He starts thinking about how he is a child of God. And he's all messed up at the beginning of that psalm, and by the time he gets to the end of it, in almost every case, he's giving praise and thanks to God, even anticipating how God's going to take care of him. When life gets rough, how can you still praise God? You still can. You just have to work at it harder. And that's a great thing about the Psalms. You can go there and you can say, hey, David and others, they've been right where I am, right where I was. And that can help you do it. All right, the second point is it is good to give thanks to the Lord because over time the Lord destroys his enemies. Now, it may not sound real positive and real nice, but that is what the psalm teaches, and it is true. It is good to give thanks to the Lord over time because the Lord will destroy his enemies. One of the biggest obstacles to giving thanks seems to be the prevalence and the power of those who reject God's will and God's way. And one of the problems we have with those who oppose God's will and God's way is that we can't stop them. Don't you know? Don't you feel that way at times? Don't you wish you had the power to stop people from saying things that are untrue that you hear? To stop people from doing violence, from to stop people from promoting evil, from to stop people from writing books and essays and and things like that or doing things on social media that that is evil. And, and sometimes we feel so powerless. Sometimes we feel like there's nothing we can do to stop them. They're making fun of God. They're promoting immorality. They're being unkind to us or maybe being unkind to others. Whatever it is, it seems sometimes there's no stopping evil. But the psalmist declares that this is not true. And the reality is that the Lord works out His purposes, which includes the destruction of of the wicked. Okay, so the message of Christ is not that everybody is going to be happy. The message of Christ is that he is going to deal with wickedness and evil to those who would not submit to him, who will not kiss the king. We judge things by what we see and what we think is going on. But the Lord has is dealing with other things. So, when you look at verse 5, it says, How great are your works, O Lord, your thoughts are very deep. And in verse 8, But you, O Lord, are high in power, but you are on high forever. Okay, so what this is saying is, Okay, God, I recognize that your thoughts are greater than my thoughts. And then in verse 6 and 7, <coughs> it's saying that God's eventually going to deal with evil. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprouted up like grass, did iniquity flourish, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. Those who have no concern to praise God or live for His glory are the wicked. They live without God. They ignore His will, His word, His law, They think that they get by with it. They think they have nothing to worry about. Sometimes we may feel the same way. 
They seem to have it so good. They become to us a source of aggravation. And at times they seem to have it just fine. We are not alone in this. If you go back to Psalm 37, that's exactly what the uh, this psalmist, this is what David was dealing with in Psalm 37. Do not, verses 1 and 2, do not threat because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him and do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked, wicked schemes. And then in Psalm 73, in Psalm 73, the psalmist actually was to the point where he envied the people who got away with doing all this wrong and had no problems. Verse 6, Therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imagination of their heart runs riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Sounds like we're reading stuff on Facebook or in, in the news, in one of the uh, news uh, channels or threads. Verse 11, they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? This is one of the favorite arguments of people who are in sin, people who are living in a, a life of adultery and you confront them as a Christian and they say, well, God hadn't done anything about it yet. Like somehow it's now excused. When God is long-suffering, that people would repent. But eventually, His judgment comes. People don't understand, as Psalm 92 says, they are senseless, they are stupid, not realizing that though the wicked even are multiplied, they are destined to be destroyed and come under the judgment of God. In verse 7 of Psalm 92, it talks about the grass, the grass sprouting, and it is destroyed. They are like the grass uh, that they are that like the grass, grass grass that sprouts up, and they will be destroyed. Uh, sprouted up like grass. In Psalm thirty-seven, um, David again mentions that the judgment of God is going to come. Verse 9, evildoers will be cut off. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 12 and 13, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him. He sees his day is coming. And so God is not pacing heaven's floor worrying about uh, all the the enemies of the gospel or the enemies to his truth. He laughs at these people who think They can destroy him or get back at him. Verse 14. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart and their bows will be broken. In Psalm 73, the the psalmist came to realize that God was going to judge these people who seemed to have it so good. And he says in verse 18, Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. 
Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. We want to preach love. We want to preach grace. We want to preach the truth. But we also want to preach, we want to preach the truth that says that God is going to judge evil. He judged it on the cross in Christ and provided a way for people to have salvation. And those who are not Christ in Christ are going to come under his judgment, even the least sin. Verse 9 from Psalm 92, For behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. Matthew Henry says, All the impenitent workers of iniquity shall be deemed and taken as God's enemies, and as such they shall perish and be scattered. Christ reckons those his enemies that will not have him to reign over them, and they shall be brought forth and slain before him. Then he goes on and says, Let us not therefore fear the pride and power of evil men, nor be discouraged by their impotent menaces, for the moth shall eat them up as a garment, but God's righteousness shall be forever. We come to the close of a year, we come to Thanksgiving, and we see so much that disturbs us when we're supposed to be giving thanks. And we wonder where things are going in the new year after having spent the last couple that we've been into. And yet the passage, God's Word tells us that He is in control. He's governing all things. And in spite of all this, we can still be those who give thanks. All right, the final point is this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord because in their lifetime, the Lord prospers His children so that they can declare His glory. God's telling us this right now. It's good for us to give thanks to the Lord because in our lifetime, the Lord will prosper us so that we can, de- we can declare His glory. Those belonging to the Lord can not only declare His glory from day to day, but we can look at the lives, our lives as a whole. We can look at our lives as a whole as that which can, has, that, as that which can give God glory. And we have the privilege in our life of serving Him. And the time comes for us to die. We pray, God, give me dying grace. And give me until that day when I die the testimony that in my lifetime I live for you and that I was a person of praise and of thanksgiving. In verse 10, the psalmist declares what the Lord has done for him. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. The horn was taken as an enemy's image of an animal's horn signifying strength. And oil is like that which is used in anointing a person, usually at some expense with a pleasant odor and a pleasant feeling. And the psalmist is saying this, in spite of my enemies who oppose me, in spite of the fact of all the evil that there is, The Lord has strengthened me and refreshed me. Folks, we can come under persecution, but they can't take that away from us. There are those in the world today who are being persecuted for Christ, but many of them are just where this psalmist is right now, and they can't take away that person's peace and joy and satisfaction in Christ. We have to presume it was God's truth 
to him that did this. He anticipates the destruction of his enemies and the blessing of God that will praise him all his days. And in our lives, we should expect nothing less from the Lord ourselves as we seek to keep his way and walk humbly before him. He will deal with our enemies and he will bless us. This is what verses 11 and 12 says. And my eye will look exultantly upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like the cedar of Lebanon. In Psalm 37, where David dealt with his enemies, he also spoke of God's blessing. In verse 27 and 28, Depart from evil and do good, and so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. God's not going to desert you. He's not going to desert me. Verse 38, But transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. Our salvation is the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. There are people this morning who are suffering for the cause of Christ and they're under the thumb of their persecutors, but in their hearts they have already been delivered from their persecutors. And they will someday, maybe even soon, be delivered into the presence of the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 12. The flourishing tree of verse 12 is describing the righteous. We've seen this in Psalm 1, right? The person who meditates on God's law and, and avoids sin. Verse 1, you have a tree that flourishes. The tree planted by waters prospers compared to the child of, in the child of God because he meditates on God's law. The flourishing palm is mentioned here in, uh, in these verses. Uh, if you look at that, um, verse 12, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow up like a cedar in Lebanon. The flourishing palm produced much fruit, and the cedar's quality was in its long life. The comparison here is to the wicked. The wicked flourish, but they flourish like grass, like grass that is weak, like grass that can be killed by the sun. But the righteous, those who trust in the Lord, those who look to Christ and who are God's people, these are people who will flourish like the palm tree that is productive and like the cedar that has length of life and has blessing. Look at verse 13. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Some people suppose that there were trees that might have literally been planted in the court but a better answer is this it explains what God's faithful how they flourish and they flourish because they are in the courts of the Lord they flourish in the closeness that they have with God and so this is why you and I are in the word of God this is why we are worshiped this is why we're careful to discipline ourselves to pray and read the word and all these different things because we want to come into the presence of God And just like a tree that if it were in the court, just like a person in the courts of the Lord, we want to flourish. We want to be those who benefit in that way and who delight in the Lord, who delight in His presence. 
This is how Psalm 73, this is how Psalm 73 ends. This is what your testimony and my testimony needs to be. The psalmist in Psalm 73 starts out, I'm about to, I'm about to envy the wicked because they have it so good and they don't have trouble in life because I do. And then I see that God's going to cast them down. And then I realize what is my best value, what, what I value most. And this is what the testimony of the psalmist is and should be ours. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. That's why in Psalm 92, in verse 14, it talks about them yielding fruit. They're in the presence of God. And it says that they will yield fruit in old age. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will be full of sap and very green. In old age, they aren't unproductive. A lot of people see this, have this mentality about, about age, that somehow when you reach a certain age, you, you get to coast, you get to get on a shelf. This week, I was telling somebody about how I was cutting back in some things, and this person was older than me, and they said, well, you need to. You need to do that because... You need, to, you need to stop and enjoy life more and, and quit doing so much work like you're doing. I said, wait, you don't understand. I'm cutting back on this, so I got to do more of this over here. I'm not cutting back on, on my activity at all. It didn't. But they want me to be like them. They want me to sit around and watch Fox or MSNBC all day long like they do. I don't, that's, God, that's not, we're, you and I are not, this is not the life. Retirement is not this God. Old age is not this time of inactivity. There, there's not, there's, that verse is not in the Bible. It's accepted in our culture and it's accepted in the church. And, and it is not biblical. It is not biblical. We are to serve the Lord. We are His people. We are to be His witnesses throughout our days up until our deathbed. So verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in Him. This is not the picture of somebody who is inactive or who's taken a rest or I'm going to let everybody else do their thing. But who is, as, as best they are able, testifying to the Lord up until the time of their death. What a beautiful letter that was that I read yesterday from that lady talking about how Christ had taken her, her place and she was going in to now sit at his table and eat with him and he was her salvation and all these things and I'm going into hospice and all this stuff. We must be those who are faithful unto the Lord in the end. And this is how the Lord blesses us in our lives. Let all these verses be encouragement to us to trust the Lord and fear Him. Let us not listen to the counsel that says it's okay to walk a little bit in the counsel of the wicked or stand a little bit in the path of sinners or to sit a while among the scoffers. No, let us meditate on walk in God's law day and night. 
Let us not envy the evildoers and think our faithfulness is foolishness, but remember that the Lord rules, and He deals with the wicked, and He will reward the faithful. Let us remember our calling to give thanks to Him, and that this is done daily and over a lifetime. And when we fail to do so, and when we doubt God's love, and when we walk in ways contrary to Him, sincerely and quickly confess our sins, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, You will not despise. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank You for Your truth. We give You praise. We give You thanks. We adore You. We worship You. And we pray that You would help us to be governed and guided by Your truth and Your person in all of life. We thank you that you will take care of us. We thank you that you loved us. We thank you that you came to us and opened up our hearts to understand the gospel. We thank you that you called us, not for anything good in us, but simply out of your love. You called us unto yourself, that you made us to see our sin and to look to Jesus. We thank you that you loved us. Lord, I forbid that any of us act like somehow we are in your grace because we are deserving of the least when we are deserving enough of we we end our worship the same as the tax collector God be merciful to me the sinner and we thank you that you love us and we thank you that we are at that place because you have brought us there and that you hear us we thank you that you're governing all things and that you will take care of us and we pray Lord that you would help us to have a good long life of service to you in all of our days. And we pray for your church it's under persecution in so many places. Help us to see what we can do to help. But hear our prayer on behalf of these believers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.